While he was looking downwards, lost in thought, Bayou noticed that the ground where they were standing was carpeted with a bright profusion of wind-blown flowers, pomegranate and balsam for the most part. He stooped down to gather the fallen blossoms into the skirt of his gown. It was quite away from where he was, the place where Dayu had buried the peach blossom on that previous occasion. But he made his way towards it, over rocks and bridges, and through plantations of trees and flowers. When he had almost reached his destination, and there was only the spur of a miniature mountain between him and the burial place of the flowers, he heard the sound of a voice, coming from the other side of the rock, whose continuous, gentle chiding was occasionally broken by the most pitiable and heart-rending sobs. So what happens next? Um, our hero, if you can call him <laughs> Baoyu, goes to visit. He goes to visit Dayu, um, and she is ignoring him. Uh, and this has been quite a common theme for the past couple of chapters. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, she's often upset with him. He often gives her reason to be upset. In fairness, um, and so this is no different. But here he doesn't really understand why she would be ignoring him. Um, so as far as he's concerned, where they left things the day before was they were in this argument because he'd made this quip about marriage and it had made her think he was mocking her. And then he'd been summon- summoned off to meet his father, uh, but actually wasn't his father. Um, and he isn't aware that she came to his house late the previous night to see him and was refused entry. But she thinks he does know and deliberately barred her, and so that's why she's ignoring him. And it's kind of fairly classic teenage stuff. A simple misunderstanding gets blown into, um, blown out of proportion into this mm-hmm. this whole big thing. And so, because she's uh, ignoring him, he goes off to speak to his half-sister, Tan Chuan, instead. Right. Um, and they have this kind of interesting conversation. Uh, this was uh, was kind of a little bit I I did kind of find it fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Is this our first real kind of glimpse into Tantrun as a character? I think so. Yeah. We we've already heard a lot about uh, Yuan Chun, who became the uh, imperial uh, concubine. Mm. Um, yep. But we haven't heard about the other um, of the Chuns, and so this is kind of a like finally. Um, yeah. So we know we 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 kind of know of her existence, but not very much about her personality. Mm-hmm. And so she is, as we said, the half sister of Bao Yu. So they have the same father, Jia Zheng. But whereas Bao Yu is the son of Jia Zheng's wife, Lady Wang, Tan Chun is a child by a concubine. Mm-hmm. So the same as Jia Huan, the younger brother, younger half brother of Bao Yu. But Tan Chun and Jia Huan have like a very 
Tantrun and, and Huan, basically, I suppose you would call him. <laughs> Sounds kind of weird to say it just as one. The two of them, they have very different outlooks on this. Um, mm -hmm. And actually, from their conversation, it becomes clear that Tantrun kind of, even though she is the daughter of a concubine, she thinks of Lady Wang, i.e. the wife, as her mother, you know, more than her actual biological mm -hmm. mother. And she rather scorns and disdains her biological mother. She begins by asking Bao Yu to, if he's ever out and about, buy her one or two nice things, because he has a rather good eye for kind of curios and trinkets. <laughs> um, and he gets on to saying, you know, thank you to her for this pair of kind of shoes, slippers that um, that Tantron made for him. Now, obviously, she's not really a, a seamstress or any kind of skilled professional. And so I think that the embroidered slippers that she made were probably rather kind of amateurish in, in form. Uh, and Bao Yu says that his his father saw him wearing them um, and, you know, was shocked by this, you know, th this homely pair of slippers he was wearing. But furthermore, also, um, Aunt Zhao saw them. Um, so that's the, the, the his father's concubine and the mother of both Tantrun and Jia Huan. And she was annoyed because this was a sign that Tantrun was making things for Bao Yu, who's not even her full brother, while mm -hmm. kind of neglecting her actually, her true full brother, Jia Huan, who... Um, as we know from previous chapters, is kind of he's not very well liked around the household, um, mm, no. and to an extent, he kind of brings it upon himself. Mm -hmm. um, and this really sets off Tantrun. Um, she she's very annoyed at the even at the mention that she and Jahuan are in fact like full brother and sister. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that was really revealing, wasn't it? Um, it? It speaks to sort of yeah these kind of tensions uh there's also a little bit of the the difference in outlook between uh jia Zheng and bao yu the former who sort of um views value objectively maybe whereas bao yu is is kind of um always he's sentimental and so he's searching for uh sentimental value um mm. but but all he sees is you know all, all jia Zheng sees is you know fine materials wasted on these you know mm -hmm. clumsily made slippers or or, um, or just maybe the uh the lack of de decorum wearing the finest slippers I, I think it might be a combination of those oh i see right. yeah 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 um so like this need to always put on airs and appearances but yeah i i don't know exactly what to make of it but i do think it's interesting that she has this really visible and uh quite like strong almost kind of vitriolic dislike for her own mm. mother we'll have to uh kind of yes you know, see what happens with that but but it, it certainly is an introduction to tantrun's personality it's quite a, a strong one quite a clear one you know we, we do get quite a sense of her she's very forthright she's fairly kind of easily angered and she has quite strong views about uh about things particularly in as regards mm -hmm. her own family yeah, you know, in retrospect, maybe we, I should have gone back and prepared her poem from uh, Chapter 5, uh, but I didn't do that. <laughs> um, is Tantra in the Kite poem or not? Right, yeah, so she, yeah, exactly, uh, so she... I have it, I have it just... You know, here. it's interesting, I see no clear Kite references in this chapter, except there has been a lot of talk of um, the wind, 
and uh, the flower is being blown away. Um, mm. and, and that was one of the uh, the prophecies was that you know the kite would go too high, the string would break, and suddenly she would be um, you know lo- lost adrift. forever adrift. Yeah, in a not like yeah. not going with the yeah. flow, but you know completely succumb to you know the uh, the currents of time or what have you. Um, so maybe that's that, that might be a kind of a subtle thematic thing going on in this chapter that you know that's how that's why she's being presented here. I, I think that would be a, a kind of a a good choice as an author to kind of have that pairing maybe. Moving on from this this conversation, Tantron and Balchai go off together. Um, but Bayou lingers in this spot because he's noticed there are all these flower mm. petals on the floor. And um, as with that scene in, in an earlier chapter where he and Dayu go off and bury some um, fallen flower petals in a grave, he decides to do the same thing, um, to gather them up in his in his gown and carry them to this, to this flower's grave that Dayu has shown him before. Um, and as he's approaching, he hears someone sobbing, and he thinks initially it may be a a maidservant who's been mistreated and and is off mm-hmm. crying quietly. Um, but it becomes clear that it's Dayu herself, and she is. Well, she's kind of, she's like reciting a poem. I imagine it almost sung, but uh, I don't know if that's just my own interpretation. Yeah, maybe. Um, it's unclear whether it's sort of improvisational or it was meant to, you know, seem improvisational. I, I don't know if that would be, hmm. it, it's a, it's a metered poem. So I, I think that'd be almost, that'd be very challenging because <laughs> especially because it's rather long and it rhymes. You can imagine, you know, she's so swept up in the moment that um, she just pours out perfect, you know, metered verse. Yeah, it happens Ex- extemporaneously. Yeah. Just yeah, come up with thirteen thirteen stanzas of like perfectly metered rhyming verse. Um, so, should we talk about the poem? Yeah, yeah. You know, um, maybe it's almost kind of its its own thing. So, in the Hawks, it's a few pages long. It's what's your first? If you could uh, describe it in one word, what word would you use? <laughs> God, that's difficult. Um, <laughs> Uh, I mean, for me, I suppose it's kind of about withering. Okay. Um, do you have a word that you think kind of summarizes it perfectly? I think it depends on what kind of attitude, maybe what, what time of day you read it. You know, it might seem anywhere between uh, soulful to melodramatic. Mm-hmm. Um, it really depends on... It's clear that, that Bao Yu is definitely moved by it, though. Mm. Um, yeah, we we see right at the end of the chapter that he's collapsed on the floor in a, a kind of sobbing heap his 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 emotions clearly very complementary with uh those of Dayu um or very kind of harmonic with them um mm. yeah it's very kind of melancholy certainly um and when you described it as like a funeral before yeah it's there's a requiem as you said requiem type quality to it, it it's a theme that we've seen in the past being returned to um of um the ending of spring and the withering of the flowers as symbolic for um, a death, really, you know, and but also the kind of like the loss of one's youth, the loss of one's beauty. 
and, and maybe uh, yeah, there's a lot to talk about. Um, I, I guess the, yeah, the the main images are kind of just again uh, like flowers, like uh, like the end of spring. Um, I, I thought there were some kind of interesting parallels with poems we've seen before. Um, like even in, in the first line, there's discussion of how you know the you know the flowers are you know flying through the air and they cover the sky, and that mm-hmm. reminds me of the of Bao Yu's poem from a few chapters back where the the flowers were covering the ground and looked like snow, and, and I wonder if that was like a, a conscious sort of um, contrasting going on. Um, there's a lot of like lamentation, mm-hmm. yeah, images of withering concern worry uh you know there's discussion of you know like melancholy well well should we should we should we read the read the poem how how would you like to do it okay you want to do a stanza at a time or read the whole thing in english first or yeah or, or what? okay well how, yeah that's it's, it's trade off yeah do you want to go first uh like take a stanza at a time. okay yeah sure sure okay cool so i'll take the first one the blossoms fade and falling fill the air of fragrance and bright hues bereft and bare, floss drifts and flutters round the maiden's bower, or softly strikes against her curtain door. The maid, grieved by these signs of spring's disease, seeking some means her sorrow to express, has ragged hand into the garden gone, before the fallen flowers are trampled on. Elm pods and willow floss are fragrant too, why care, maid, when the fallen flowers blew? Next year, when peach and plum tree bloom again, which of your sweet companions will remain? This spring, the heartless swallow built his nest beneath the eaves of mud with flowers compressed. Next year, the flowers will blossom as before, but swallow, nest, and maid will be no more. Three hundred and three score, the year's full tale. From swords of frost, and from the slaughtering gale. How can the lovely flowers long stay intact, or, once loosed, from their drifting fate draw back? Blooming so steadfast, fallen so hard to find. Beside the flower's grave, with sorrowing mind, the solitary maid sheds many a tear, which on the boughs as bloody drops appear. At twilight, when the cuckoo sings no more, the maiden with her rake goes in at the door and lays her down between the lamplit walls while a chill rain against the window falls. I know not why my heart's so strangely sad, half grieving for the spring and yet half glad, glad that it came, grieved it so soon was spent, so soft it came, so silently it went. Last night outside a mournful sound was heard, the spirits of the flowers and of the bird, but neither bird nor flowers would long delay, bird lacking speech and flowers too shy to stay. And then I wished for wings to fly, after the drifting flowers across the sky, across the sky to the world's farthest end, the flower's last fragrant resting place to find. But better there remains in silk to lay and bury underneath the wholesome clay, pure substances, the pure earth to enrich, than leave to soak and stink in some foul ditch. Can I, that these flowers obsequies, 
Is that right? <laughs> How do you... <laughs> obsequies? Obs- obs- I'm not sure. Let me have a look. Obsequies. I think obsequies sounds good, yeah. Obsequies? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. The, the phonetics. Can to I? Obsequies. That these flowers... Obs- <laughs> Can I? That these flowers... <laughs> obsequies attend? Divine how soon or late my life will end. Let others laugh, flower burial to see. Another year... Who will be burying me? <laughs> As petals drop and spring begins to fail, the bloom of youth too sickens and turns pale. One day, when spring has gone and youth has fled, the maiden and the flowers will both be dead. Mic drop. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> It's 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 a good poem, I, and I have to say the translation is is really really um, mm-hmm. quite gracefully mm-hmm. done. Yeah, it, it preserves the the kind of the spirit of the original quite well. It does, but also like it somehow captures a feeling of the way that romantic poetry would sound in English. Um, bits of it in particular, I think, are are really outstanding. So, um, you know, stanza four: Next year the flowers will blossom as before, but swallow nest and maid will be no more. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. you know, glad that it came, grieved it so soon was spent. So soft it came, so silently it went. It has this, yeah, it, like, r- really good, like, rhythmic, lyrical quality to it. Um, there were a few um, a few references I thought we should maybe talk about. Um, definitely, yeah. I already talked about how, yeah, like, like filling the sky, paralleling Bao Yu's notion of filling the ground. Uh, I mean, in that... Uh, the in that f- very first line of the first stanza this the flowers withering hua xie mm-hmm. is um we've seen that before in in mm-hmm. an earlier chapter when she first discovers the w- when she first enters this melancholy kind of poetic phase she she learns this this poem which has a line shui liu hua xie liang wu qing um so the the water flows and the flowers wither both like relentlessly both without affection without um without mm. sentiment um and so this this is similar uh, the the hua xie the, the flowers withering as an image is is repeated here and and, and it's really kind of the it's the central it's the central motif of the whole poem isn't it the uh, line immediately parallel to that hong xiao xiang duan Kind of reminded me of this the notion of the the red dust again, right? And then the uh, the Shang Duan, which Hawks renders as what is he? Are? I guess fragrance. So in, in this in this case, it would be like the fragrance is um, ceasing or breaking off or, or coming to an end, which is probably yeah, a, a reference back to her poem, her riddle about the incense again, right? And, and so there's kind of a lot of ah oh, yeah. That's a good point. Kind of a continuous, you know, religious, quote-unquote, Buddhist uh, imagery in, in these lines. I don't want to go line by line. There's just too much to work through. What, one thing that I thought um, was good was in in the fourth stanza. This is where you have this image of the the swallow. So in the hawks, it's this spring the heartless mm. swallow built his nest. And in the Chinese, the, the nest is... Uh, Xiang Chao. So Chao is like a nest. Xiang is, as we said before, fragrant. 
So it's like a fragrant nest. And apparently this can be like a symbol of um uh like marital life or, or like literally like almost like a, a love nest, you know? Um Right, right. Or maybe even like a hidden location. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. That's a good. That's a good suggestion. So, uh, um, and we also talked how you know, uh, swallow yen is the same as the the flying swallow in the title, with which Dayu is associated. So, in the image of the swallow, we also, it's kind of self-referential in a way. You know, right? Is that maybe uh kind of a reference to, you know, her own kind of severity toward herself I, I i sometimes wonder when you have you know people who are like really like uh overly morose and you know a lot of her problems are kind of self-imposed right and so like the the the, the ruthlessness is her own ruthlessness toward herself you know even more so than toward other people right mm -hmm. uh she might be a kind of like flippant but uh we we we've she hasn't demonstrated any kind of outward, you know, I guess like Shifeng style um, sadism or excess, right? Yeah, nothing of that sort. But it is interesting that, yeah, like she is um, both the, the swallow and the flowers. And this creates a kind of um, interesting tension in the, like the kind of the, the symbolic metaphysics or what, what have you. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's another line a little bit later that was pretty nice. Did you notice after in the, in the poem after she goes outside and, and she's lamenting that she has to tread upon the um, the fallen flowers in the poem, right? Which is exactly the thing that we were talking about with like Bao Chai doesn't really care. <laughs> you know, she's she's having fun, but uh, like what Bao Chai was doing here seems to be this like this added insult. You know, the, the necessity. To move about among these bodies in a sense these fallen bodies um mm -hmm. and then when she returns there's this kind of a cool line where like she she takes the hoe and she has to close the inner gates uh in the original it's um he chu gui chu yan chong man to close yan and then the the chong man would be like the this is kind of a this is a an expression referring to kind of um it appears a lot in these like old uh tang poems referring to kind of like if you have a really elaborate house you, you know if if you live in a kind of like a an exquisite or even palatial setting you have a series of like the, your your inner quarters are characterized by like layers upon layers of doors and and like protective sort of uh, screens and so on and so forth, right? And that's a sign of um, of, of mm -hmm. privacy, but also of opulence. Um, but in this context, I, I think there's also a double meaning of. So if you like, if you cover up, if you just take chong to mean like double, like your double do your double doors, right? I think it also has a kind of double meaning of like yeah. to close your eyes, and so it's like you're like she's she's closing her double gates, you know, like you know she's entering into sleep again. So you have the the dream image just kind of um, kind of appearing for a brief moment, you know, just to 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 remind you this is you know we're still in a dream space here. Mm. And actually, that's confirmed in the next line where it's um, 
Qingdang Zhao Bi Ren Chu Shui. And so that's kind of the, yeah, like the, the, the physical um, architecture reflects the, you know, the, 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 you know, the terrain of the body kind of thing. I think that's an interesting point to look at as well, because here we see this parallel between her poem and one of Bao Yu's poems from an, from an earlier chapter. So, um, you know, it, I think it's in chapter 23 when Bao Yu writes his, like, one poem for each of the different seasons. Um, and in the spring poem, there's this image of um, Zhen, Shang, Qing, Han, Chuang, Wai, Yu. So, top of the pillow, a mm-hmm. little bit cold, rain outside the window, literally. Um, and, and here, in the same, in the stanza you were just mentioning, it's um, Leng Yu, Qiao, Chuang, Bei, Wei, Wen. So, um, cold rain taps the window, and the blanket is not yet right, warm. Right, right. It is a very um, parallel. So, yeah. so there's still a chill in the blanket. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, it's just really making clear that there's this real like harmonic quality, I suppose, between the two characters, Bao Yu and Dai Yu. You know, there, there, there's a great kind of sympathy that exists between them, even if they're often. Um, arguing, and that would explain why Bao Yu is so moved, right? He, he's seeing his kind of reflection in the, you know, in the mirror or in the water, or you know, or or the moon in in the. To go back to the, uh, you know, the, the poem we discussed in chapter five, he, he's seeing the moon in the water, or the the flower in the mirror. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a few other images that maybe are worth. Some of them are pretty obvious, you know, the the. the the connections between uh, intransience and replaceability, the exchangeability of uh, maidens in the in the chambers. I, I think most readers will be able to kind of figure that out uh, on their own. <laughs> um, th- there are some interesting things with the you know, the spirits of um, of flowers and also of birds, and, and a specific bird is mentioned, the cuckoo, and there's some indication in the commentary that. Uh, the, the reference to cuckoos here is kind of an old, uh, it might even trace back to um, a kind of a semi like a folklore figure named uh, Du Yu from all the way from back uh, in the 11th century BC. Wow. <laughs> who was said to um, eventually, his spirit transformed into a cuckoo. Uh, and he he'd return in in the spring to uh, to kind of alert farmers that it's time to uh, it's it's time to to farm. And, and I think there's a few other kind of things that I'm I'm looking through my notes. I, I, some of the details are escaping me. Mm-hmm. Um, where this might relate to the name of let's see here, because we remember she's in the naiad's house. Which is itself this kind of this ancient reference in the Chinese. It's um, uh, Shaoshang, and so it's the the Shao River, and she's the Shao River maiden, uh, and this I guess this connects her to um, E Huang, which who was uh, I guess uh, Emperor Yao's daughter, who was married to Shun, and she was said to. Um, like uh, to sob uh, tears of blood, uh, which uh, stained the bamboo, gave it gave it its um its stripes, 
Yeah, yeah, that was a very, very striking image, wasn't it? The we've seen the tears of blood um, image before, um, but it it really kind of um, it reappears here, right? It reappears. It really um, sticks out, doesn't it? And that actually relates back to the uh, the Dudren Cuckoo, who was said to uh, you know embody the uh, the spirit of the deceased emperor and uh, the cuckoo's plaintive laments. Are are you know are said to be reflective of of, of kind of this deep uh, sorrow for one's country or for one's loss, and, and also um, th- there's a kind of a parallel sort of uh, story where the uh, a certain kind of uh, I think azalea in Chinese uh, dudrenhua was said to be red because the dudren cuckoo cried so much it it, it cried blood as well. And and so just as the uh, Shaoshang bamboo is stained by the tears of uh, Shun's wife, you know, uh, lamenting his loss or his exile, so too um, the Dudrenhua is stained by the uh, the tears of blood of the um, mournful cuckoo bird slash emperor. I think it's interesting. Um, We've already discussed, you know, the the verdant pavilion, which Hawks has translated as the uh, raindrop pavilion, um, which, you know, blood, it, it even drops of blood. That's kind of a, uh, that, that itself, it's on one hand, it's a, it's kind of an ambiguous symbol because it, it can be a symbol of death, but it can also be a symbol of, of life, of vitality. Um and so I, I actually, if we like, yeah, if we don't overinterpret um, uh, Dayu as this kind of this goth <laughs> character, which is kind of a yeah. a joke on our part, right? Um, it, it's it's also you know she she does have life to her, you know, but she's experiencing it uh, via the channels of um, sorrow and um, kind of sensitivity and. Um, yeah, um, so that's basically, I'm trying to think, I think we've discussed a lot of the major images. There's some, there's some Buddhist images toward the end again. There's even a mention of the, uh, Jing Tu, the, this kind of, this like the pure land, um, which is being kind of held up in this almost ritual capacity. Yeah. So he, yeah, he says pure substances, the pure earth to enrich. So there's this reciprocal quality between the purity of the earth and the purity of the thing buried in it. Um, you know, cleansing one another back and forth, right? You know, in the original, there's like a, a kind of a specialist Buddhist term that's used, right, of the pure earth. But it's interesting because that's that seems to be her philosophy, right? So she's she's really worried about the the uh flowers um not only dying but um suffering a kind of ignominious uh afterlife right and she's really worried about them traveling in the water which becomes blocked up and becomes mixed with uh you know like uh the, the filth of the 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 mortal world and so she much prefers to have the the flowers buried which is you know I guess it it is this association between the ground and and, and purity. Yeah, and um, and 
this it's it's just a very oddly sentimental thing of hers to do, you know. Um, I wonder if that's again this kind of this self-loathing, not to get like <laughs> psychoanalytical, but also ushing pilled at the same time, where like you know she's like she's so averse to uh, the flowers, you know becoming a part of the stream but that's like that's her that's her sign you know she's the water she lives in the in, in yep. the naiad's house uh she's in the you know she's symbolically like essentially connected to to water and to movement and to flow whereas you know the earth that's kind of Yu's terrain so to speak um he's you know he's the I mean, I, I guess you could say the the jade is is maybe more like metal in the in the Wuxing system, but um, I, I think there's there's reason to associate him with Earth, right? And he's going on this journey. He's kind of um, you can you can maybe compare him to Tang Sung in uh, Shioji in in Journey to the West, right? And so he's not maybe he's he's part monkey, but he's also part he's the pure earth maybe and that's kind of the connection and, and the draw between them yeah i think the pure earth is interesting because well do you remember in chapter seven i think it was where the f- like the artificial flowers get distributed to all of the women of the household um you read from i think um like a bataille um piece about like flowers yeah. and dirt and how like the the, right, the pure right. flower grows from like the dirty earth and there's like this interrelationship between the two but here somehow the earth is not considered dirty it's it's pure and it's and it's like the water and the things that flow into the water that are kind of kind of dirty do you remember when we talked mm-hmm. about the the xue pen jing the the uh, sutra of blood uh, the sorry the lake of blood sutra the lake of blood sutra in 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 maybe it was chapter chapter 13 14 something like that 13 yeah that sounds um, right yeah 13 or 14 and, yeah um th- that was th- this just as a reminder is a, a very bizarre um bit of um later buddhist kind of scripture um in which hmm. um apparently it says women whose um menstrual blood has flown into any body of water will be kind of condemned to hell because this in some way like taints the water forever um um and this is the water that's used to you know make tea for the buddhist masters or 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 whatever and you know therefore it's like some kind of great crime we we've also seen the the idea of the the the, the river running red with flowers and so there actually is kind of a connection between all these sometimes contrasting sometimes contradictory images there is an underlying uh albeit somewhat complex logic to these associations you can see why some people don't like uh like literature because if you're the kind of person who wants to like nail down meaning and have like a one-for-one correlation between different phenomena i I mean what we're doing right now must be maddening right (laughs) because the 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 there's so much room for interpretation and room for kind of um you know like for like valuations to flip and to to mold and to and to kind of become reevaluated uh but then again that that's 
my response to that is, well, that's that's the space in which people live in, you know, and, and if you get rid of that, you might be doing a fascism. I mean, <laughs> not like, you know, not <laughs> like what you can see, like the, you know, if you view humanity and its vagaries as a problem to be solved, you know, you can see how that could become problematic. Anyway, mm. um, yeah, that's my like ode to um, <laughs> to vagary, maybe. Um, yeah, and defense of the kind of yeah these these kinds of questions, yeah, looking at what's going on here, um, and so yeah, on, on one hand, you know, uh, Dayu is a flower, but she's also portrayed as different things, and flying as a flower means something different than flying as a bird, um, but you can combine them in different ways and have different meanings. That's part of the fun. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just trying to kind of think of like closing thoughts Mm -hmm. on this poem is that um you know a lot of the imagery is quite kind of classic teenage stuff you know particularly the you know wanting to fly away from it all to the ends of the earth you know Mm -hmm. i feel like that's very that's very common and um being very kind of obsessed with death and like um the loss of youth and things um but at the same time, I do think it achieves like a certain like sublime quality that lifts it above merely teenage angst. Yeah, um, yeah. I do think it's a particularly good, particularly good poem. Yeah, um, yeah. It's like yeah, maybe it's uh, it's not simply yeah high school poetry. It has a bit of Shakespeare in it, or something. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> do you have any any hot any hot takes? Any final thoughts on them in general or the poem? Um, or? On the, on the poem or in the chapter um, let's see I, I think I've said my piece uh, as for the poem um, but it, it was fun to read and, and I'm looking forward to my kind of plug for chapter for book two is there's going to be a, a lot less uh, supernatural material in this chapter but there's going to be maybe more uh, poetic material and so uh, I'm looking forward to kind of leaning into that because I, I think some people especially more you know plot-driven readers skim over a lot of uh, these chapters. My point is, you know, there's nothing on TV right now. There's no rush. You know, there's not that many. um, uh, You know, (laughs) this feels like it's worth the time to kind of, uh, to kind of sink into it. And so I'm hoping, uh, I'm hoping everyone, you know, uh, you know, listeners as well can sort of um, embrace the kind of this, a different pace, a different kind of pacing for a story. Because um, I, I think it's going to be pretty rewarding. And so I, I hope uh, everyone uh, comes along for the ride. Uh, so uh, final thoughts? I would share you with you. Um, the plot, I think you're right, is going to move relatively, a relatively relaxed pace for much of volume two. But um, there's a lot still worth engaging with kind of a, a while you know while we're on the ride um okay that, that's ended there um i think that's probably about uh, it yeah. thank you uh for listening once again this has been another installation of rereading the stone uh as always be sure to uh rate and review us on your favorite podcast podcasting app um also check us out you know if you have comments critique uh suggestions uh check us out on twitter at 
Rereading Stone. We also have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash rereadingthestone. Uh, so until next time, uh, bye-bye. Bye-bye.